unworthy of that great prayer. Thank you so much. It's uh, so good to be with you guys. It's been a long time uh, to be here, and uh, my son and I were just talking yesterday about Dan. I said, uh, mentioned to our son, who's the pastor at Faith Chapel down in Billings, that I was coming up to Red Lodge to share the Word of God, and uh, he mentioned, and we both agreed that how hard Dan works and Donna to work full-time job and to do the church on Sunday and it's rare when they get away so it's a privilege to come and serve him and Donna uh, to give them that break and uh, Dan's so faithful I see him about once every couple months we have a uh, kind of a little district four square church pastors meeting luncheon and Dan always runs over from whatever his construction job is and he's usually not able to stay to the end when we pray but he shares with us what he'd love prayer for, and then when we pray at the end, and he's already back, hard at work, managing a construction site. And so I've sure admired uh, Dan and Donna. Over the years, I've gotten to know them. So um, I even went to McDonald's a couple times to look for Donna as she worked there, and uh, they never would let me see her. Um, so or I was there on the wrong day. Uh, so uh, I wanted to say... Uh, there's an old saying, I don't know if you've heard about it, I was reminded of it the other day I was reading, and they said, um, people write books, uh, or authors write books that they need to read, that they want to read, that they need to hear the message from. And so I think many times um, when we share the word of God, whether you're uh, sharing it just with your neighbor next door, or sharing it with your children or grandchildren, Sometimes we're sharing the things that we need to hear ourselves or that we want to hear. And so today I come to you with that uh, attitude in my heart because Carol and I are getting ready to launch into a new uh, season of our life, my wonderful wife, and we just celebrated our 50th last December. And so we're uh, now launching out for the second 50. And uh, uh, we are I'm going off full-time ministry for the first time in 40 years. Uh, in the beginning of June, and not sure what the next chapter of our lives I'll handle. Retiring from my position as, uh, I have this title at Faith Chapel called the Director of Guidance and Care, and uh, mainly what I do is try to keep up with everybody that's ministering there to other people. And uh, now we're going to go and just uh, see what next chapter is. So I want to share out of the book of Jonah with you, because Jonah is a guy that got a calling and had trouble associating with that calling and so we're going to how do i do this thing here is it going to come do the i right arrow. the right arrow okay and should i have something on the screen already or oh there we go okay thank you thanks dean i appreciate it so much i love your worship thank you so much uh it really ministered to me i uh please forgive me if you saw me sitting down it wasn't out of my lack of respect for the lord but um, sometimes my back can't take a whole a uh, couple hours, because he said I'm supposed to preach till three or something like that. <laughs> so I thought, I thought I better save my back. Uh, so please forgive me in that. But uh, it's, it, well, uh, I'm, I'm here and we enjoyed the worship. And wow, some of those are some of my favorite songs. So thank you. I haven't heard "As the Deer Pants for the Water" for a long time, and boy, that brings back oh that the purity of that song. And this is the air I breathe. Wow, that really. Uh, it made me shed a lot of things during that song. I just asked God to shed the things that try to draw me away from him or I have 
other things that I think are nurturing me except him. So thank you, worship team. Whoop, did I lose my notes already? That's okay. We don't need that one. All right. So we're going to pray. Oh, is it doing some weird? It's real loud. It's real loud. Oh, okay. The ones that go over your ears. All right. Is that better? Thank you. My wife needs to dress me too uh, in the morning, so thank you. I'm used to that. Um, all right. So let's read, begin reading from Jonah chapter 1. But let me give you a little story. I, I show that picture behind me of Jonah uh, because I think we're all associated with this big storm in Jonah and it causes Jonah to be thrown overboard and a great fish swallows him. And we know the Sunday school flannel graph type presentation of, of Jonah, but it's a really deep, deep book. And uh, I've had the privilege of reading Tim Keller's book on it and other people's. And it's really come to challenge me, especially in the day and age we're living. They call it the prodigal son uh, of the Old Testament. It's about somebody that fl fled from God's call and then comes back to obey God, but still wrestles with it in the end. Um, Jonah is a weird book of all the prophets in the Old Testament because it's not prophecy. Most of them are oracles of like, say this to Israel, say this to my people, say these things. And the prophet may have his name on the book, but it's mostly what he was sent to do. Jonah only has about one prophecy in it, one line of prophecy. It's more about the story and the history of a prophet and what he goes through and the wrestling in his own life. So it's unique in that way. And the background uh, is it is so much to deal with um, uh, the call of a prophet not going to Israelites. Every other prophet in the Old Testament is tasked with saying, I want you to go and tell my people. Tell my people. But Jonah is strange. He is asked to go tell an enemy. So let's go ahead and read this. And, uh, and thank you, Lord, as we've already prayed, give us ears to hear what your spirit says. It says the, from chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So we know that opening statement, it sets it up. It doesn't take a lot of time to introduce this. Jonah gets a call, go preach to Nineveh. He says, I'm not doing it, and he sails. So he runs. Here's a little map of, uh, helps me understand how much running away you can do. So he goes down to Joppa, and once he gets to Joppa, it's only 550 miles to Nineveh. It's 2,500 miles to Tarshish, which is kind of on the south peninsula there of the Iberian Peninsula. That's North Africa on the bottom. And uh, then we have Tarshish on the top, which is, uh, I think, the southern part, sport of, part of Spain. And so what's going on here is there was no place you could probably sail away from the call of God further than Tarshish. I, sure, ships went further, but the illustration here that is God wants us to get is that Jonah was not just 
saying, I think I'll take a little detour, or I want to go think about this for a while, or I think I'll go to the neighboring town. Like, I don't want to go to Billings. I think I'll go to Columbus, okay? Or I, I think I'll go to Bridger instead of the call to go to Red Lodge. It's not just a little departure. It's a big run. All right. Now, uh, Jonah's Dilemma. So this was written about uh, eight centuries before Jesus came. All right. And, uh, and he's a picture. This is one of the few prophets that Jesus mentions in the scripture as an illustration of his job upon the earth or the witness people will be given. And we're going to read that in a little bit. So it's written about the 8th century. Eighth century. Jo jo uh, Jonah the prophet loved his country and his people, but God asked him to go to the enemy and preach repentance. So that's the amazing thing is he loves his country, but he is being sent to the enemy to preach repentance. And really what this is is a, is a message to all of Israel saying, you need to, need to get back to the calling I, I asked you to do in the beginning. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that I will bless you, the Jews, so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. There was a call on Israel from the earliest time of God forming them and redeeming, beginning the redemption story after Adam and Eve fell. He formed a people that would bring now the message and the Messiah and the restoration of the fall back to the world. And so that was Israel's calling. But they had fallen away from that calling. They saw everybody that wasn't a Jew, everybody that wasn't a part of Israel as an enemy. And they wanted judgment on all of them. They didn't want to go and preach to them about the God who loved them and created them and have them come into repentance and join the community of faith. And so when Jonah is given this message and this story is recorded, all of Israel may have either been shocked or uh, arrested in their thinking and like, where did we get off track? Or most of them just ignored uh, 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 just forgot about the story and ignored it and just went on with their life. So this is really a call for all Israel to come back to what God told them to do. Jonah could not imagine that God could forgive and shed mercy on the Ninevites. They were the hated evil. They were the terrorists of that day. It would be like after 9-11, the day after 9-11, somebody said, go and preach the gospel in Af Afghanistan. Go to the strongholds of the terrorists. Go to Pakistan. Go to Iran. Go to Iraq. That's where I want you to go. The day after 9-11, we all saw, now we have an enemy, but God's saying, they are also part of my creation, and I want you to preach to them that there's a God who loves them, their sins can be forgiven, and they can come to faith and relationship with me. Israel's prophets always went to the Israelites. They didn't go to the pagans. And so here's Jonah called to go to the non-believers of those days or to the enemy. It would be like uh, a, a rabbi in, in Europe during World War II at the Nazis came through and they were dragging people to the, to the uh, prison camps, to the torture camps, to the camps of elimination of the Jews, to Dachau, or whatever camp it was, and he saw the Jewish people being annihilated, it would have been like a rabbi being called to say, I want you to go out in the streets and love and preach repentance to the Germans. Mm -hmm. That's how hard this call was. And we sometimes 
I, I can't put it in perspective. And I think one that that little illustration helps me understand how hard this would have been for Jonah. Just like if you would have seen all your neighbors hauled off by the Jews, put into a giant train car, taken to a prison camp and cremated alive or killed and then cremated and eliminated that you're said you're supposed to love these Germans and you're supposed to the Nazis and you're supposed to preach that I love them and want them to come to repentance. So um, they saw, the Jews at this time saw that God serves justice, not mercy. He's looking to judge all those that aren't a part of their community. So let's go to the next, next verses. Uh, Jonah, this is starting on verse 4 in chapter 1. Jonah flees from the Lord. So then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So he's on this ship headed for Tarshish. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So they're in the giant storm. The sailors are all crying out to their different pagan gods, and they don't exactly know who Jonah is at this point, and said, Well, why don't you call out to your God too? So storms always produce Oops, sorry. Sin always produces storms. And Jonah is sinning by running away from God's call. So, I think of your own life. Have you, what storms have you faced in your life? It's either the st storms that are caused by our own sin or caused by those who have caused sin around us or sinned against us. The storm in the book of Jonah is a result of Jonah's sin of running and disobeying God. The storm affected everyone around him. Just think that it's his sin, he's on a boat, but even everybody on the boat now is in jeopardy of sinking and dying. So sometimes our own sins, our own running from God, causes storms that are just not affecting our lives, but affecting those around us. So the storms in our lives are either from our own sin or from the sins of others in this fallen, broken world. So I wrote a uh, quote up there from Tim Keller who wrote uh, a great book about Jonah, and it says, there's mercy deep inside storms. So I don't know how you find yourself today or the storms you fought in your past or storms we'll face in the future, but God's mercy shows up, and that's one of the great messages from Jonah. In the midst of this storm, there's mercy from God that saves everybody on the ship, that saves Jonah. I'm not going to read or talk today way into the book of Jonah uh, where the uh, great fish swallows Jonah and there's mercy and he doesn't drown and he gets regurgitated up on a beach somewhere and given a second chance to follow the call of God. So it, no matter how bad the storms are in our lives or in others' lives, we should ourselves look for where is God's mercy for us or we should help other people be searching for God's mercy so let's go on and read the next verses then the sailors said to each other come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah so they asked him tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us so they were casting lots that they believed 
did fortune telling and God used it to say the cause of this storm is Jonah. All right. So now the sailors go to him. Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. Is it you? We have a suspicion it's you because we've done our little uh, magic, our little fortune telling routine, and it seems to point to you. What kind of work do you do? This is important for all of us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? Obviously, he got on this ship incognito. He didn't look like a prophet. He maybe even hid his Jewish heritage to some extent. Somehow, they said, we don't know who you are, but you're the cause of this storm, and so we need to know about you. So it says, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, when he says that, the next verse, it says there in verse 10, this terrified them because they have heard that the Hebrews have a God that they say is the creator of heaven and earth, that is the God of all gods, that he is the ultimate cause of all creation. And so they are now terrified because they said, if this storm is caused by the sin of this man, Jonah, then he worships the God who has control of even the sea, that we're in trouble, that this God is bigger than our gods. So this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Now, notice the parentheses in this verse right here. Somewhere in there, he's already told them he was running from God because it says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Somehow in some conversations on the deck, maybe before the storm started, maybe when the storm was still a mild storm, they were sharing maybe over some food or whatever. He said, yeah, I'm running away from my God. But what they didn't know until now, it was the God who created the heavens and the earth mm -hmm. and had the power of the sea. So they knew he was running from some spiritual calling that some God, but they saw all these gods on the same level and all the different tribal gods that there were. But all of a sudden, when Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew, they've heard of this Hebrew God who did miracles, who released his people from the grip of Pharaoh, who caused the 10 plagues in Egypt, who had parted the Red Sea, who had done all of these incredible things. And now the sailors are scared. And they said, oh, you told us you were running from God, but you didn't tell us which God. And now they're shook up. All right. So when the sailors ask him, who are you? The sailors have concluded that the storm was a punishment for sin. They, th that's just inherent in, in what we read. It, it's maybe not spoken uh, explicitly, but it's between the lines. Sailors had concluded that the storm was a punishment for sin. The lots pointed to Jonah. The sailors asked Jonah these three things. What's your work and who do you worship? What's your calling? What's your mission? They asked his place. Where are you coming from? What is your country? And they asked him, what's your race? What are your people? So they asked the core question that give most people on earth an identity. What is our identity revolves around these things. It's our work, our worship. It's our place. Where do we come from? If you were born in Red Lodge, if you came from, I think, uh, Dan and Donna live in Joliet. Some people live in Billings. Other people, where do you come from? And who, what kind of people do you belong to? Who is your race? 
Now, this is all about identity. Each identity has three layers. So I put them in gold on the screen there in yellow. It says what we do and who we worship, where we come from, and what is our race. That is our identity too. The sailors are not just asking this to find out about Jonah, but the real goal is to understand the God who has been angered so that they can determine what to do. So they're not asking Jonah like, okay, we want to know a lot about you, Jonah. They're saying, we want to know about all these things because we want to know how to counteract this storm by God. Now, I want to ask us, who are we or who are you? These three things, purpose, place, and people, still determine our identity today. Everyone worships someone or something. To ask, who are you, is to ask, whose are you? Yeah. Whose are you? When and somebody said, who are you? That really, our answer, or the deepest thing is, who do I belong to? Who do I trust in? To know who you are is to know who you have given yourself to, what controls you, what most fundamentally you trust in. So that last statement up there, I underlined when it says, who are you? Who have you given yourself to? What controls you? And what you most fundamentally trust? I think of one of the great authors of the last, um, early this century and late 1900s was Dallas Willard, a great Christian uh, professor. He worked for a while at some different Christian colleges, but he ended his career at USC in California, a very secular school, University of Southern California, produced great football teams and other things they're known for, and high-level school, but he ended up as a professor of philosophy there. And when he was there, uh, he was working, and one day in his office, he heard some students milling outside his door and kind of whispering. And it was like, I think they're trying, what are they doing out there? So he said, hey, excuse me, can I help you? And so they look around the corner into his office and said, uh, Professor Willard, Dr. Willard, we're sorry to bother you, but we're confused. We're, we have a question for you. We've been to our library, and we looked up your books, and a lot of your books are Christian books. The Divine Conspiracy, I don't know if you've ever read that. I mean, he's written some deep, deep things, Dallas Willard, about the Lord. And so here he is at a secular school, University of Southern California, and these young students are confused. And they said, yeah, you're a Christian? We, we saw the titles on some of your books. We even read some of the pages. We're really confused. Because they basically thought to be a Christian is to be uh, a person of non-intellect, a person that doesn't think a lot, a person that, that would never be worthy of a college-level professor working at USC. Some of the smartest professors in the world work there. They're saying, you know, most people call that Christianity and religion just a crutch. But you've overcome that, I'm sure, by your logic. And so he sees this confusion on his face, and he said, can I ask you a question? So the student said, sure. And they thought it was going to be an academic question. He said, who do you want me to follow? Who should I follow? And they had no answer, and they walked away. And in that question, he needs to answer for all of us. Everyone follows somebody. I remember when Bob Dylan, for a brief time, became a Christian. Everybody, we're old enough in here to know who Bob Dylan is, right? Okay, he became a Christian for a while and came out with a couple Christian albums. And one of his great songs was, You Gotta Serve Somebody. 
You're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord, but everybody's got to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan hit in his great poetry there, in his deep things he thinks about, he hit the truth. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? Who do you serve? Do you have somebody else that's more worthy to follow than Jesus Christ is what Dallas Willard asked those students that were confused. And that should be, uh, for all of us, the answer should be we follow Jesus. So Jonah's conflict, okay? Jonah did not obey God because, uh, because it was an identity issue. The reason Jonah is running away is he has an identity issue. Jonah saw his identity at being first and foremost his ethnic group, not the calling from God. Okay, so look at verse 7 up there. We'll read again. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots that fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? And who are your people? Or what people are you? From what people are you? And then verse 9, I kind of put in yellow on the screen. He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He answers first by his ethnic group. And the, what he's saying is, I'm not going to go to the Assyrians in Nineveh because they are the most hated enemy of our country. I am not going there because I am a Hebrew first. He didn't answer, I am a prophet of God. I am a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am a, a follower of Yahweh. He didn't answer all those things of which prophets and people who of faith should answer. He answered his ethnic group first, and, uh, and he worships the Lord of the heavens, uh, who created the heavens and the earth and controls the sea. Now, Jonah's conflict, when loyalty to his people and loyalty to the word of God seemed to be in conflict, Jonah chose his people over choosing God. He chose to support his nation over taking God's love and message to the Ninevites. Now, I have to say a little parenthetical thought here. The Ninevites were known for their torture. I, it's too early in the morning to tell you what they did to the enemies, but it involved when they conquered somebody, they just didn't conquer them and enslave them or take their things. They mutilated them. The Ninevites were monsters on the battlefield. And so because of that, it would be another scary thing for Jonah to say, I'm supposed to go there. And so I am not doing that because of what they've done to my people. The Assyrians had already conquered. Uh, yeah, the Assyrians had already conquered Israel before in the past. And their reputation was of the most ill repute. And they were infamous for the torture and pain they caused people. So what this, we could call this that Jonah is dealing with, is a shallow identity. His identity is just in who he is, his people, his ethnic group, his job, what, he, what kind of people he comes from. His identity is not based in a follower of God for us, a follower of Jesus who obeys Jesus even when it's uncomfortable, even when he asks us to go to the enemy, even when he asks us to go to those most hated by us. I think of the Ru Rwanda genocide, if you remember that, in 1994. In Rwanda, uh, one day, this is a story that I heard that I believe is absolutely true. One day, 
a Sunday the church meets a lady is teaching the children in the Sunday school room the next day the Rwanda genocide breaks out either with the Hutus or the Tutsi tribe she goes next door to her neighbor the kids she was teaching on the Sunday at Sunday school about God the next day she goes to that house and kills those ch children with a machete because all of a sudden the genocide was two tribes rising up against each other. On Sunday, they were all of the tribe of the Lion of Judah, of Jesus Christ. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But all of a sudden, that identity was not deep enough in them. They didn't have it secure. And when the genocide broke out, Christians killed Christians because you were of a different tribe. And this woman actually reported that she hacked the children. She was saying on Sunday, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. She killed them. That can tell you, a so well, hopefully it makes us all sober. They can say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm not like Jonah. I'm, I don't put my ethnic group ahead of my obedience to him. I don't put the place I come from in obedience to him. I follow the Lord and I go to where he tells me to go. And so I think I've seen that a lot lately, and maybe we've all come through one of the most tumultuous election cycles of our lives, and uh, wow, I, it has really been rough on the church. I can remember I've talked to so many people in buildings who have lost friends over who, who got elected, who they voted for, what they thought was supposed to happen in the election, uh, still holding on for Trump to win the election, to be placed there, or the, the, you know, was the election stolen or not? I'm not here to debate that, and we all probably have feelings about that, but what I'm saying is divided, even people who used to sit together and say, I love you, brother and sister, I love you, that now they're enemies. There's been enemies made over whether to get the vaccine, vaccine or not, and that may have even happened here. I don't know where you stand. I'm not going to say you know, anything about about that but we've got people whether wear masks or not we have had people in our church that have lost lifelong christian friends over the mask issue i'm not going to wear a mask i don't feel i need to wear a mask i don't think that's right then other people say no we need to wear masks and so we're right there this thing of jonah is not you know ten thousand years old 2,000 years since Jesus came, 8,000, oh, sorry, not 10,000, 800 years before that, so I'm sorry. So 2,800 years ago, Jonah was going through this. We still go through this today. Where is our identity? And we can lose friends, curse people under our breath, divide ourselves, sever relationships over things where we see our identity and what political party I'm in, who should have won this election, what should be uh, the treatment of the virus? Is what level is a pandemic trumped up by the media? What level is it, is it actual? And we've seen this happening today. And I don't mean to be stepping on our toes, but I need to hear this myself because I have looked at different people in different ways that they have different beliefs about even masks or all those kind of things. And so where is our identity? Our identity needs to be as Christians that we're believers. And so we come here and love one another, but out there, 
We can easily turn on each other by some, something in the political wind or something in the medical wind, and so we can easily do that. Here's a list, a brief list I put up there of some of the what we struggle with in identity today, okay? Is, is God and his love the most fundamental layer of your, our, I say your identity, my identity? Do we get our basic identity from God's love or from what race we are? What career we are. Christians can be racist. We can be bigoted people because we get our identity from our race. Or is, do we believe that God loves all people? That's ultimately what God was saying to Jonah. You hate the Ninevites because you've seen what they've done to you and what they've done to your people in the past and how they are the, the terrorists of that day that made Al-Qaeda look like Sunday school people of this day. And it's saying, you don't want to go to them. You believe God wants to judge them and not bring them into relationship with him. And so we can have racism that way too. Our career, we can see it in, in uh, so much in our country. Right now, um, I, I think Asians are saying they're feeling a animosity that has broken out against them after that mass shooting. Was it in Atlanta when the guy went to the massage parlors and shot so many of them, they were Asians, and, and he, he himself didn't admit it was a, a racist thing. He said it was just a sexual addiction he had, and he wanted to eliminate that addiction by eliminating the temptation. I remember I dealt with kids in college before Carol and I moved here. We worked eight years at two Christian colleges in Eugene, Oregon, and I had kids saying they were addicted to pornography, and they said, I just want to throw my computer out the window. If I could get rid of the computer, I can get rid of the addiction, but they couldn't survive in college without their computer. And so sometimes we think it's getting rid of the external that breaks the power internally, but it's got to be God's power in you that breaks the addictions, okay? Like there's mornings I get up and look at this stupid thing and I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be reading uh, uh, the scriptures and praying and I'm reading, I, I, heard, uh, I heard you talk about his new AR and a suppressor he got and man, I'm just looking here about reloading and what components and, and you can't get any powders and you can't get any primers and I'm searching online and all of a sudden, oh my devotion, I got two minutes with Jesus. Okay, here's two minutes with Jesus before I get to work. But I spent 45 minutes looking for primers online. Okay, so uh, it, 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 it affects us all, okay? Is it my career? Is it my financial worth? Is it my family? Is it uh, human love that I'm looking for? Or I already mentioned a political party. Where do we get our identity from? And that is what the sailors have, God's, what God's doing is challenging Jonah through the sailors by saying, what is your true identity, Jonah? Your true identity is to be obedient to me and follow me. So Christians, Christians today, whoop, what happened there? Oh, okay. Oh, I see here. Okay. Um, so today we have the same struggle. Do we follow Christ's love and obedient to him, or do we rely on who we are and where we're from and, and, uh, and have our identity in other places than Jesus? And I talked about that being a shallow identity. So what I'm really going to pray for us at the end here in a f just a few minutes is... Um, to have our identity rooted. Now, uh, let's go on a little bit and talk about this. Uh, next few chapters, this is when it comes, and Jonah's going to get thrown overboard. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And they knew, oh, wait a minute. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? All right. Uh, 
pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. Wow. I want you to know this is a big statement by Jonah because now it's a change in his thinking. And it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord. And so now, they're, now all of a sudden, they're praying to Jonah's God. Not to all their gods, but to Jonah's God. They're going, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. A revival breaks out on the ship. Okay. There's a little irony here. Jonah was supposed to go to the pagan, non-believing nations and preach the gospel. He ran away, but Jonah's even in his failings, God ends up saving the pagan non-believers. These people, there is a sign that this is real repentance because they come to uh, believe in the God of, of Jonah. Now, is Jonah repenting? Is he saying, I deserve death for my sin against God? Is he saying, I'd rather die than obey God than to go to Nineveh, so kill me? It's the latter. He never once says, I have disobeyed God. God, forgive me. We see no prayer of Jonah on this ship like, oh, this storm's because of me. I'm risking the life of all these people. And so Jesus, I fall to my knees. Wouldn't have been Jesus to him, but it would have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was expecting a Messiah to come to, but he would have fallen and repented before God and asked for forgiveness. But no, he's saying here, actually, no, I'd rather die because I still don't want to go to Nineveh. I believe that if Jonah on that ship would have bowed his knee and say, okay, God, I'm sorry, my identity was not in your love for the nations. The identity was in my being a Hebrew, and I hated Ninevites, so I change of that, I repent, and I'm going to go to them. I believe the sea would have calmed down too because he would have repented of his sin and said, guys, take me back to shore, drop me off, I got to go back to Joppa, and I now got to go to 550 miles to Nineveh and preach. So he is not repenting. Uh, it does seem his conscience is being awakened, though, for the lives of the other men, right? All of a sudden he goes, okay, guys, I can save you on this ship. Just throw me overboard and kill me. God is working here to reveal a future sacrifice. And who is that future sacrifice? Jesus, the Messiah. Because he said, if you throw me, if you kill me, you will be saved. So Jonah and Jesus says uh, in Matthew chapter 12, says, um, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want a sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation. The men of Nineveh, remember he didn't want to go to Nineveh, but in the end of the book, if you read, I hope today it would be great if you go home and read chapters 2, 3, and 4, because Jonah ends up, gets spit out by this large fish. We always refer to it as a whale, but it never says what kind of fish it is. Spit up, and he goes to Nineveh, he preaches, and they repent. And boy, Jonah hates that, too. 
Jonah hates the fact they repented. Oh, no, this is my enemy. I knew this would happen. I didn't want to preach these people because I knew you'd give them a chance, Lord, to become your people. And so he's all upset. And what it says here that Nineveh, Jesus is saying, these people that repented at Jonah's preaching, they will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it if you don't see that I am the Messiah. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something is here greater than Jonah. All right? So Jonah and Jesus, here's another part, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when Jonah's thrown overboard, it's a total type and shadow, foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. And he said, I will, take, I will sacrifice my life for the saving of these people on the ship. Now, um, this is substitutionary sacrifice, we call it. Jonah is hurled into the sea to save others. He sacrifices himself. So the first step, I love this statement on the bottom. First step in coming to our senses is when we start thinking of somebody else besides ourselves. Jonah all of a sudden comes out of his self-pity party. Remember, he went down in the ship and was asleep, in a, a, probably a sleep of sorrow. We would probably call it depression. He was leaving God. He was on a ship leaving the call of God, but he couldn't overcome his hatred of the Ninevites. And so he went, and uh, there's somebody else besides ourselves. When we start thinking of that, we start acting like Jesus. So Jonah is guilty of sin and is no Jesus. We all got to realize that. Jonah is no Jesus, right? But Jonah is a symbol, a sacrifice of the innocent Jesus. I love this statement right here by Tim Keller in the middle. True love meets the needs of the loved one no matter the cost to oneself. All life-changing love is some kind of substitutionary sacrifice. All life changing love is some form of substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary love is so impactful on us because we're created in God's image and that's how God loves. God loves by sacrificing himself for the salvation of his children. And so I think the best symbol maybe, I don't know what kind of families you were raised in or what kind of parents you had, but many of us learn what's what sacrificial love is from our, from our parents, that they will forego buying something for themselves to provide for their children. They will forego a pleasure that they could have for the sake of feeding and clothing their children. They will say, I, I, you, you know this statement, you've seen it, many movies have been about it, kill me, but don't kill my children. Kill me, but don't kill my wife. We know Jesus said, no greater love is there than when a man lays down his life for another. And so that's why we're impacted by substitutionary love. And that's what brought the sailors on the ship into a relationship with God. As they saw Jonah living a sac We don't know if he was really thinking that, but he became a sacrificial sacrifice. Uh, even though we didn't see him repenting, he knew he wasn't repenting to God, but he was saving those people. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. We read that before the sea grew wilder before them. And, well, we already read that, so let's go skip that one. Sorry, I had that duplicated. So what first was to the sailors a fear of the storm is really now a fear of God. Amen. The key here is that the sailors used that 
we can't read this because we're not reading in Hebrew, but they, when they start referring in the storm and they turn to God and he says, throw him away, they start referring to his name as Yahweh, which is the covenant relationship name with God. They just don't call him your God, Jonah. They start calling him Yahweh. And if we could read it in Hebrew, we would see that these sailors were really converted during this storm. And it wasn't a jailhouse conversion. Because what happens in a jailhouse conversion? As soon as you're out of jail, you're not serving God anymore. They began to serve God in the storm. Um, now, Jonah was fleeing God because he did not want to go and show God's truth to the wicked people. So let's go. Uh, oh, yeah, there we go. So let me just close with this. What lessons can we learn from Jonah? We can learn. Have we in the past or are we currently running from God? What storms am I facing? Are they caused by my sin or the sin of others? Do I struggle with God's grace and mercy for others? Do I love all of God's people and creation as God does? In other words, do I love even Al-Qaeda, the terrorists? Do I love people, homeless people? Do I love other people that are not the people that I choose to love or I even feel comfortable around, but God's asking me to love them? Anne Lamont is a Christian writer. I think she, I don't exactly know all of her theology, but she said this great statement. She says, when I'm convinced that God loves the people that I love and that he hates the people I hate, then I know I've created God in my own image. Mm. When I'm convinced that God loves the people I love and hates the people I love, then I've created God in my own image. And so that's really the call of Jonah, is do not create God in our image, but we serve the God and we're created in his image. And that's when we start living sacrificial love that it begins to change the world because that's what he did for us. When a choice is presented to me by the Lord, is my identity as a follower of Jesus strong enough to conquer my human identity of purpose, place, and race? And do I love others to the level of substitutionary sacrifice? And um, it's challenging today, and I hope that it... Um, I know I needed to hear this today because it's so easy to get tribal today and just stick with the people that I feel comfortable with, that I want to love. And is God asking me to go love even the enemies? And I'm going to pray for the church too because the church has suffered greatly yep. as we've become tribes within our churches. Instead of all saying we all serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're all followers of the Lion of tribe of Judah, we're all disciples of Jesus. We say, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus that wears a mask, or I'm a disciple of Jesus that doesn't wear a mask. I'm a disciple of Jesus who gets an uh, inoculation. I am one who doesn't. And we have divided ourselves, and we need to love each other again, irregardless of what we believe about those things. We have to rise to a higher identity in Christ. So, Lord Jesus, um, I just pray, Lord, that you would examine our hearts and Lord, where are we getting our identity from? And Lord, if, um, if a civil war broke out in America today like it broke out in Rwanda, would we put our tribalism, our, our race, our people, our ethnic group, our identity above 
the identity we have in you and loving you and serving you. And so, Lord, I pray for the church in America that we've been uh, through a, a storm, Lord. And I pray that um, in the days ahead, you would cause us all to examine our hearts and that we would repent where we need to repent, that we would love and forgive where we need to love and forgive, and that, Lord, nothing would drown out your voice and calling in our lives to um, love the person we see on the side of the road, to be the good Samaritan, Jesus, as you taught in that parable, and that we would break down our, our territories, Lord, and follow after you. And so, Lord, if we're on a ship right now running away, I ask, Lord, that you would pu put us off the ship and back on direction with you. And we come to follow you, Jesus. And I pray that in the days ahead, you would work on your identity for us and bring healing to your church and that we may come out of this tumultuous time of elections and pandemics and all that we've been through to focus on you, Jesus, and that your church would become greater and better and more like you than we ever were before. We thank you, Jesus, for the storms we face, for in the storms we find the mercy of God. And as you provided a fish for Jonah and gave him a second chance, we know that your mercy is available to us. And, uh, and Lord, may we be obedient to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Bless this church, Lord. May it be a light and salt to this community. And may all that um, serve here and made the effort to come today in the rough weather uh, be um, blessed by your presence and your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.